Also, Aftershock Youth Group. You can uh, be dismissed as well. Can I go? No. <laughs> you cannot go. <clears throat> you are stuck here. Well, again, good morning. I'm super glad you're here with us. You're not glued to your phones, watching the playoff games. You're here focused. You're not caring, caring about what's going on outside this room. You're here, ready to go. Yeah, I guess, maybe a little bit. Hey, so listen, I'm really excited about today. We've kind of been hinting about what's coming, and, and maybe even more than hinting, telling you what's coming next. So today, we're going to embark on a journey. Um, we're going to go through my favorite book of the Bible, which contains my favorite chapter in the entire scriptures. Now, doesn't really matter to you, but I just figured I'd share. Like this is, this is meaningful to me. I, I love this letter. There's so much going on in this letter, and it has a very complex relationship with the author and the recipients that goes way beyond what we're going to cover. And because there's a lot of history between the author and the recipients. I'm going to spend most of this morning laying a foundation and kind of building out some of the backstory so that when we dive in, we have the full context. I think that's really important because we can't just randomly pull this out and start reading it. We can, and we will absolutely get something out of it. But I think the Lord would be um, honored and we would get more out of it if we really work to understand what's actually going on here, what led up to this being written. It's, um, it's a very personal letter, perhaps the most autobiographical, a lot of things that we learn about the author. Um, and I just want to give you the, that fair warning up front. Don't worry, we're going to cover every single verse in this letter over the next however long it takes. This morning is going to be more of an overview. So if you're thinking like we're going to go deep diving into something, we're not necessarily, but trust me, it's it's coming. And so before we fully dive in, I'm just going to ask the Lord's help one more time, and um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll dive in. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this new beginning as we begin to open up your scriptures, as we take in the full counsel of your word. Lord, I pray that over the next several weeks and months that the contents of this letter moves in our hearts and minds in such a way that it it compels us to live our lives differently. God, these are not just words on a page to interact with for a moment and then move on. God, these words that you have given us are meant to bring shape to our lives, purpose to our lives. There's mission in these words, engagement in these words, correction, encouragement, hope, and love. So God, help Mike and I and others that will preach over these next several weeks and months to cling tightly to the truth of the word. God, that everything that we say would be represented here in your word. That we would make a big deal out of the point of the passage, God. Not be on some hobby horse or try to create some weird kind of secondary motive or meaning behind the text, God. Just the plain truth of the scriptures presented in a plain way, God, that we might be moved to action. So help us, help me this morning, 
Guide us as we go. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as usual, um, you can text your questions to the number that's on the screen. Uh, flip it back one day real quick. I was going to leave that there just to kind of let you marinate on that because I'm not going to actually get to that till like toward the end. You can kind of see where we're going. But the, the, the question that you can text questions are the number that's on the screen on the next slide. We do this every week. Sometimes we get questions texted in, sometimes we don't. Uh, but it's just an opportunity, a way for you to interact with us if you have questions, uh, especially as we're working through a whole book of the Bible. I think it's important for us to be able to provide that opportunity. So, all right, let's get a little bit of background on Corinth. If you were to pull out a map right now, where on that map would you point to get to where Corinth is? Just give me a, a general region. What, what continent are we talking about? Europe. Europe? Mediterranean. Okay, Mediterranean. Greece. Greece. Who said Greece? Heidi. Heidi, okay. All right. Have you been there before, <laughs> Heidi? No, you just, yeah. The world traveler. The world traveler. Okay, yes, it is in Greece, and it is approximately 50 miles west of Athens. It was, hit us with the, the map. So here, here you go. All of this is Greece here. This is the edge of, like, what is this the edge of up here? Turkey. Modern day Turkey, or where all of the missionary churches were, were born out of that we have the letters to. Um, so there you go. The ancient city that was started thousands and thousands of years ago was actually functional until an earthquake leveled it in 1858. I mean, so that's a pretty good stretch, um, that, that it was a, a functioning city. But they didn't just let it lie. They built the new Corinth, like three miles away, and, and it's still active, and it's a, it's a city that you can go to and, and check out. But the location is, like, perfect. It's the ideal spot where it's on the water, but it has access roads and things. It made it a very significant place in that region. In fact... In Paul's time, the author of the letter, 2 Corinthians, it was a very posh, lush, very kind of hoity-toity, if you will, if they use that term today, I don't know. Um, huge architectural features, like lots of, of buildings and really neat-looking things, lavish markets. They would host um, festivals and games and all kinds of, of things like this. It was actually a city of extremes as well. Um, uh, one third of the population were slaves. And then you've got this huge population of people that are like the tops of the tops. Um, in fact, I was reading one of the commentaries. And one second century author talking about Corinth, he says this is the reason why he doesn't visit Corinth. He said, I learned in a short time the nauseating behavior of the rich and the misery of the poor. That was his take on first century, or second century Corinth anyway. The citizens living in Corinth were obsessed, like really obsessed with their status in the social settings and, and places of honor in society. Like they wanted to, to achieve these great places of honor. They couldn't seem to get enough. And of course, if you've ever been in places like this where there's just like this constant rat race of trying to get, it's not the best place in the world to try to, to, th to thrive. Um, honor isn't always a, a thing that is 
is upheld in those kinds of things. You can step on people, get, get your way no matter what it looks like. And, and there was no place that was off limits to trying to gain status, right? including the church. For, for some people then, the church was like this ideal place to try to achieve and get status and, and position and honor. That sounds like an awesome place to serve, right? All I want to do in the church is get to the highest place so people can serve me and love me and, and make my name great. Yeah, fantastic, wonderful opportunity for that. Yikes. But you know what? So many times in history, it's places exactly like this where the gospel explodes. Where you least expect it, where there's the least amount of, of structure and, and people of character to be able to facilitate this kind of growth. God just drops it in there and it's like, boom, it explodes. Even today, it's happening in the least likely places. All around the world, the gospel is exploding, even right now. It's just not happening around us. So what was Paul's mission here? What, what else drew him to this place? Well, it was a hub. A hub of, of all kinds of international travel, merchants. If you were going somewhere in this region, you were going to Corinth. So it seemed like a good place to get the beginning of this new religion of Christianity out to the masses. Like, let's go to the central hub and let's give those people and watch the gospel go. Does that sound familiar to you at all in terms of, like, the Praetorium Project that we're a part of? Like, let's go to these military bases. Let's pour into these active duty soldiers and families, sailors, Marines, Air Force. Give them the gospel and watch it go around the world. So Paul is looking at this and going, that's a great opportunity. But also, there's great needs for his particular skill set. So what did Paul do for a living? Did he make tents? Is that like just a, a euphemism for something? Or was it like, did he literally make tents? He literally made tents. A lot of people think like, oh, they just, uh, it's a tent maker. It's just a term for working with your hands. No, he literally made tents and he was really good at it. So he saw this as an opportunity to gain influence, get his name out there as somebody who's doing good work. These are a couple of reasons that Paul is looking at this as a potential opportunity for, for jumping off with this thing. So we get a, a brief background of the place. And, and as we walk through the letter, we're going to see more and more of how this actually impacts what's going on in and among the church. But let's look at the events leading up to the letter, because I think this is the most significant part that will help us understand what exactly is going on here as we study. So you saw that map, and you, you couldn't even see like Jerusalem and like where the early church started, but... This is a long, long way. Corinth is a long way from Jerusalem, where Christianity was birthed from. So how is it that this church started way, way over here in Corinth? Who started that church? Anybody know? I got Peter, I got Paul, Mary, anybody else? Peter, Paul, and Mary? No? <laughs> Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. 
The latter half of Acts is a story of what? What do we learn about what's being birthed and grown? The early church, right? Basically, this is a, a church planting model if you look through Acts. So by the time we get to Acts chapter 18, Paul, the Apostle Paul, is on his second missionary journey. So he was sent out from Antioch, which is a little bit north of Jerusalem, and he would go on these long journeys, and on his way he would plant churches. So this is his second missionary journey. This is his second time going through this region, planting churches. So pick up with me in Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Then he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you uh, to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. This is the beginning of the church in Corinth. So who started the church? Okay. I mean, we literally just read. <laughs> Paul started the church. Okay? Just so we're on the same page. Paul started the church in Corinth. If you want, you can go back and read it again just to verify what I'm saying. Paul started the church. Okay. How long was he in Corinth, in Rosalie? Six months. A year and a half. 18 months in the church. Who did he originally start preaching to? In the synagogue, the Jews. Did they want to hear it? No. So who did he go to next? The Gentiles, the non-Jews, or the Greeks, the people that were there that were not of the Jewish nature. And he stayed there, ministering, building the church for a year and a half. That's a long time, right? So you would think after that, there was enough time spent that the church would be moving in a good and healthy direction. Every day, Paul ministering, encouraging, teaching the words of Jesus so that they would just continue flourishing and thriving. Well, not long after that, he gets a letter, a report, that things are not going so well. We're going to jump around a little bit here, so I want you to go with me. Lee, don't put it on the screen until we start reading it, because I want people to maybe get the word in front of them for themselves. But if they don't have it, that's okay. You're going to look at 1 Corinthians now, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to ask you a trick question. I'm telling you it's a trick question up front. Okay. Is this Paul's first letter to the Corinthians? Yes. No. 
I don't know. We'll find out. It does say the first letter. Okay. All right, so there's a report that things are not going well. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. Say amen when you get there. Amen. Okay. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Paul gets a report. He's planted the church. Now he's moved on. Now he gets a report. Things are not going well. There's some divisions among the people, and there are other problems as well. So, being a good steward and hoping to correct the problems, Paul writes what we know as 1 Corinthians. That's the letter that we just referenced here. In that letter, he talks about another letter, a previous letter, before 1 Corinthians, addressing some other issues. How do we know this? We'll stay in 1 Corinthians and go to chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Remember, this is a letter that they have in their reading, and he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9, I wrote you in my letter to not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, it's not this letter. It's another letter that he's referencing that we don't have anymore. Some, somewhere it got lost, or, or for whatever reason, it's not in our word, and that's okay, because we don't have every single thing that was ever written. But here we are, Paul writing now a second letter to the church at Corinth. Surely this ought to straighten things out. I mean, getting a letter from the Apostle Paul, just think, Pillar Church of Oceanside, Paul's still around, we're starting to act crazy and be foolish. We get a letter from the Apostle Paul. Hey, straighten up. Like, let's get our act together. We're, we're probably going to be like, oh, man, this is this is crazy. This is like if, if Brian O'Day writes us a letter or something. I, mean, I don't know. Colby Gorman from one of the other writes us a letter and go, hey, I heard you guys are acting fool. What's Mike doing over there? <laughs> it, it, it wouldn't be you. It would be me. Yeah. <clears throat> Surely this would correct the issue, right? You would think. Well. Not exactly. You know what? Corinth may be the worst church in all of the New Testament that we have a letter sent to. I mean, it just may well be. So not a lot of great things are happening in this place. And so instead of responding positively to 1 Corinthians, which is Paul's second letter, they straight up rebel against Paul. They're like, nope. They're not having it. And we're going to understand why when we start to look at 2 Corinthians a little bit more. There's a lot of reason, a lot of things that are happening in the church and in the culture that are influencing them that are going, Paul who? (laughs) Now forget that guy. We've moved on. And so their poor response to this letter causes Paul now to go back. So he's written two letters now. Nothing's changed. Now he's going to go back in person to what he calls the painful visit. His words. Now go to 2 Corinthians. I told you we're building a story of what's happening so that this letter will have a max impact on us. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. 2 Corinthians, sorry, thank you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. 
He says, for I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And you, you can keep reading and we'll get there in that. Another painful visit. That must have been quite the ordeal, huh? Could you, could you imagine, like, a painful visit? That just sounds awful. But obviously, things that he's trying to do through letters and, and other kinds of means just aren't working. So he's like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going. And it's going to be a tough visit. But listen, think about if you've ever had the opportunity to read any of Paul's other letters, the way that he talks about the disciples that he's made. He has a lot of compassion and love for these churches, doesn't he? Think back to 2 Corinthians or um, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. We we did a study through those in the fall. The way that he talks about them, he addresses them as sons and daughters. He uses examples of like a nursing mother or a caring father. He values these people. So he's not being mean for, for mean's sake. But what do caring and loving parents do to rebellious children? Correction and discipline. Like that's that's what we see here, right? It's not mean for mean's sake. His compassion and his desire to see them thriving in faith compels him to visit and bring with him some tough correction. So after this visit now comes his third letter, which is not 2 Corinthians. That was quite hard for him to write. It's actually a letter he says was filled with tears and anguish. Again, we do not have this letter, but we do have a reference to it. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. I'm just going to read that much because we're going to go deep into this later. I made you grieve with my letter. In verses 3 and 4, I think it is of that same... You know, there's another place where he references this. Maybe I'll come back up with it. But that's where he says there's tears and, and sorrow in the letter. You can hear in his heart, though, he's motivated to want to see correction in them. So Paul sends this letter... This letter now, 2 Corinthians, with his co-laborer, Titus. And so Titus goes and takes the letter, hoping to get a report and to meet Paul in Troas. Well, Paul shows up and he's ministering in Troas, and, and Titus is not there. He's expecting a report, and he's not there. So the Apostle Paul, the mighty Apostle Paul, the great leader who's got all things together, he's good to go. He's struggling. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 12. Paul says, When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. He sends Titus with a letter, hopefully to bring correction again. 
and the prescribed meeting spot, Titus isn't there. But notice what's happening. Are things going well for Paul in ministry right there? Yes. Yes. He said, I'm having lots of, of success. The doors are open to me. Things are going well. But Titus isn't here. He becomes so overwhelmed with the fact that he's not there. He's worried. What's happening in Corinth? Did they, what do they do to him? So much so that he leaves the good ministry to go back to Macedonia where he was. Now, side note, Paul goes back to Troas and ministers there and has a lot of success. So he does go back. He doesn't just like leave it. You know, there, there's... You can read about that at the end of Acts. So he does go back, and that, that's good. But he just can't concentrate on the ministry because he's just worried. What are those Corinthians doing to my brother? What are they doing to him? Finally, though, we do get a report. Paul gets a report, not us. About what's happening in Corinth. So final reference here. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7 again. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 7, 6. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So finally he's coming. Not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I did make you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul sends these letters has these visits, gets a report back. Finally, after all this, the Corinthians are ready to repent and have some sort of reconciliation with Paul. Now, it's not all of them. Most of the Corinthians are in this place, but there's still a small group that's holding on to living for themselves and doing all these kind of negative things. But that, all of that is what sparks this letter. So everything that we've talked about up until this point, 2 Corinthians hasn't even happened yet. He writes this letter in response to what we just read. Titus goes there, he gets the report, people want to repent, things are changing, moving in a good direction. Now he sends this letter. And it's a letter to encourage them to say, brothers and sisters, I love you. I'm ready to experience life with you. Like, let's get this thing rolling again. Let's do this thing together. So he writes this. Knowing now this is not his second letter, but his fourth. Multiple visits as well. Now, if you're a visual person like I am, you can't read this probably, but I'll show you. You can take a picture of it, I'll send you the slide out, whatever. This is a timeline of everything that we just talked about. Acts chapter 18, Paul starts the church. And if you can read here, between the, the first letter, it's like three or four years. There's a lot that has happened in that time frame. But Paul sends what we call letter A, which we read about, not 1 Corinthians. There's no great response to that. 
So he sends 1 Corinthians as a response, which we referenced in 2 Corinthians 11. Poor response again. Visit number two. The painful visit, 2 Corinthians 2.1. Then he gets an update. Things are still not going well. He sends the severe letter. And the things that cause him sorrow and pain. Still no good response. Finally, Titus goes. There's a repentance. There's a change of heart. He's encouraged. Letter D, 2 Corinthians, is sent. And then you can read about his final visit there toward the end of Acts. There's a lot happening leading up to this. Can you see why there's there's a, an effort to want to try to paint the clear picture? Now again, we're going to get into the details of what exactly is happening in Corinth that caused all of this. But a lot of it has to do with what I shared with you in the background. They're very much about themselves, trying to achieve status and all kinds of things that that community was looking at. So just briefly, let's, let's talk about the letter. <clears throat> He's writing to two different groups of people in Corinth. The majority of the people are those that have repented and are ready for reconciliation. The minority is the people that are still holding fast. <laughs> They're like, nope, we don't like you, Paul. We don't want anything to do with you. We're going to stand our ground. The letter, this, is his effort to get the church moving in the right direction, to bring unity, to cast vision to them and say, look, people, you have been set apart for Christ. There's a plan and a purpose. Just as Carmen prayed over us earlier, there's a plan and purpose for every one of us in this room. There's a plan and a purpose for every person in the Corinthian church. And Paul knew that. And he said, this is what you guys need to do. And it pushed back against everything that the culture was about. Everything, in every way, that they valued and saw significant. Doesn't that sound familiar to us today? <laughs> The lifestyle that we are called to live goes in opposite direction of the culture today. Which means this letter is just as meaningful and significant for us right here, right now, as it was 2,000 years ago. The life Paul calls them to, and the life that Paul calls us to, is what we're going to call the cruciform life. How many of you ever heard that word before? Cruciform life or cruciform shaped Okay, you're like, what are, you, what are you saying? What is that word? Well, there's a book called Cruciform by Jimmy Davis, which is a great book, by the way, if you want to read it. But I'm going to read to you his definition of what this is. And the reason why this is significant is because this is what Paul is calling us to and the Corinthians as well. Put that up if you can read with me, that's fine. Uh, he says the cruciform life is a cross-shaped life. That's what the word means, cruciform, cross-shaped it is shaped by the cross into the shape of the cross. The cross, representing the life, death, and resurrected life of Jesus, as he offered in the gospel, is the soul-shaping core of the disciples' existence. When the gospel is of first importance to you, and Christ is formed in you, then your life takes on the shape of the cross. You begin to live the vertical life of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And you begin to live the horizontal life of loving your neighbor as yourself. This is the cruciform life. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthians to, and he's calling you and I to. And as we read this letter, we're going to get a lot 
of ways that we can do this, including in my favorite chapter that's coming up. But it's also a letter of paradoxes. What's a paradox, you say? I got a definition for you. Not mine, but somewhere on the internet, they describe it this way. A seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that, when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. <laughs> so in, in this sense, it's these magnificent yet puzzling contrasts. For example, comfort in suffering. What? Weakness or strength in weakness. Uh, reconciliation versus living for yourself. These things do not make sense to us. The gospel of grace can bring comfort and suffering. How many of you experienced this before? Comfort and suffering. God can bring very good things out of very bad things. Uh, Paul Tripp, I was listening to a, a short message from him, and he said this, in this idea of good from bad. He said the very worst thing that could happen, the death of Jesus. The very best thing that could happen, the death of Jesus. God is in the business of making all things work together for good. That's what he is about. Strength in weakness. My weakness, your weakness, Tripp says, is a playground for the grace of God. That's where we see it thrive. Now again, they don't make sense, especially from a worldly perspective. But that's the point. And that's why we're calling this series The Paradox of Grace. Do you guys like that little illustration? That beautiful thing right there? You can thank Mike for that. I wasn't really expecting applause, but... <clears throat> Yeah. <clears throat> Every single one of our series, Pastor Mike has done. So if you didn't know that, I love the idea. You see the arrow going this way, but the, what's forming the arrows is the arrows going the opposite direction. That's, that's what we have in here. It's this paradox, this contradictory kind of thing where we begin to see these things come to reality for us. We get to experience comfort in the midst of suffering. We get to experience strength in our physical and broken weakness. It's incredible. And even though that we are going to face, and we do face struggles every day, every day, we face struggles. In light of that, we are being renewed by the presence, the power, the promises, and the grace of Jesus Christ. So we're going to get a small sample of this letter as we wrap up. I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses of this letter. You can read along with me if you want. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy our brother, to the church of God, that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction, so that we be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort, too. 
If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. It's a little teaser, right? That's going to be our text for next week. But here's my encouragement as we wrap up this morning. Find time this week to absorb the content of this letter. All of it. Now, that could come a variety of different ways. You can sit down and read it all at once. You can listen to it. You can take it in chunks. Encouragement to all of us, take in this letter so that when we get into it next week, you'll have a clear picture. How long do you think it would take to read, sit down and read this in one sitting? Some of you are really fast readers, if you think 10 minutes. 40 minutes. 40 minutes. So if you watch any kind of sitcom show, you can watch an episode and a half of The Office where you can read this. And if you're not a reader, like I said, listen to it. Right? That's how they would have gotten it. They would have sat there and listened to somebody read it to you. So if you get the Bible app out, you're driving around, you're walking around, you're walking in your neighborhood, you're running, you're jogging, you're working in the garden, whatever you're doing to care for your physical body, you got this going on. Listen, take in the whole letter this week. That's my encouragement to you. So we're going to come back next week, and I am going to pick up on this. Um, Mike's going to pick it up from there, and then we're just going to keep walking through this. We're going to take some breaks along the way and talk more about what we talked about last week with our whole person concept, our spirit, soul, and body kind of things along the way. But I'm really excited about this journey, and I'm really encouraged by the Lord of where he's got us positioned for this coming year. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll move into the Lord's Supper. So Father, we do thank you, Lord, again for your, your mercies that are new every morning. We thank you for the incredible truths that are contained within your word. And your patience, Lord, your patience for us. Sometimes we look at what we talked about this, this morning, and we see the Corinthians and their rebellion and their stubbornness and their, their weakness toward their flesh, and we just kind of point our fingers and go, how dare they? Lord, we're no different. We're no different. We struggle to see how we move forward in following after you. We we sometimes choose our own paths, the way of comfort. And God, we just we want to come before you right now and say, Lord, if, if there's something in our lives, there's something in our way, something in our path that is keeping us from experiencing the fullness that you have for us, Lord, don't let it take four letters and some painful visits <laughs> to get our attention. Just help us to see it and then lay it down. 
surrender it under the blood of Christ, hoping to mature through this journey that we can be your ambassadors on this planet, representatives making disciples for your name's sake. So thank you again for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this letter. Thank you in advance for all that you're going to do through it. And we just ask for your blessings now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.